0: Hello there and welcome to another episode of the For God's Love podcast. Last time we talked about testimonies that Jesus gave that he was truly the descent the of God, the Messiah, that he was truly who he was, uh, truly who he said he was, and that everything that he said was the truth and we looked at some of these testimonies. Today we continue, um, and essentially we'll be reading in Matthew chapter 12, verse 1 to 8, going back to another controversy that involved the Sabbath. Um, And if you have the Bible close to you, I'd like to invite you to read this with me. Um, Of course, if you don't, you can listen to me as I'm going to read it throughout, but obviously I would encourage you to whip out your Bible and uh, join me as we'll be reading. Matthew chapter 12, I'm reading from verse 1 and today I'll predominantly be using the English Standard Version, but of course I invite you to use whatever translation you have. Matthew 12, 1. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. Their hunger, that is, the disciples' hunger, plays an important role for what the disciples do next. And just keep that in mind as we read on and discover why this detail is important. Verse 2. But when the Pharisees saw it, remember, the Pharisees were religious leaders, right? Uh, they were your pastors, your priests, um, people with a lot of say in re- on religious matters. Uh, These were who the Pharisees were. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, that is, they're speaking to Jesus, look, your disciples, and rightfully so, they were his disciples. Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. Now, the Sabbath, we've talked about it. It was a day that, as the word itself means, the word itself, Sabbath means rest. It was a day that humanity was to rest on completely, right? They were to Shabbat. They were to rest from all their usual activities and take this time to actually reflect on God, uh, reflect on what he has done, who he is. Um, The Sabbath we see being instituted in the Garden of Eden for the original human beings, Adam and Eve, and therefore thus making that a perpetual thing that should be kept by all of humanity. This is what the Pharisees come to Jesus and say, Their disciples are breaking. They are breaking the Shabbat. They are doing what is not supposed to be done on Shabbat. And I guess we have to think about it in this way. What should we do on Shabbat? What should we not do on Shabbat? Now, Exodus 20 has a lot to say about this. Deuteronomy as well. But I would invite you to listen to what Jesus tells this man. Verse 3, he, that is Jesus, said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? And those who were with him, what they did. Now, Jesus begins by asking, have you not read? Jesus is in effect saying, you guys know this. Am I right? I mean, you guys have read this. You are familiar with this. Anyway, what is this that David did when he was hungry and and the men that were with him? David is a character in the Old Testament. And he did something that Jesus is going to explain to us or is going to tell us about. Verse 4, this is Jesus telling us what David and his men did how he entered the house of God or the temple and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, right? but only for the priests. Even from that verse itself, we learn that only the priests were supposed to eat the bread of the presence, meaning therefore that David himself was not a priest, And therefore, should have had no business eating that bread, neither would the men anyway that were with him. Uh, Jesus is saying that what David and his men did was unlawful. And I want you to keep that word in mind unlawful. In quotes, because the law stipulated, actually, according to Leviticus chapter 24 verse 5 to 9, that only priests were to eat the bread of the presence. Now, Leviticus puts it this way, it, referring to the bread of the presence, shall be for Aaron and his sons, denoting priests, Aaron and his sons were the priesthood, the priestly line, and they shall eat it in a holy place, for it is most holy, Holy to him, that is to Aaron, or really denoting priests, from the Lord's offerings by fire. His, that is denoting priests, portion forever. So essentially, the bread of the presence was for priests. David went ahead and ate that. Now we've said David was not a priest, neither was his men. So David, he did an unlawful thing by eating the bread. Please follow me here closely. Jesus is going to the heart of the law. It is about more than what it says. It is what it means that also matters. And I would dare say matters more. A question for you is this. And tell me if it is logical. Should David and his men have starved to death while there was food? Well, should they even have starved? minus the death part, well, there was food. This man needed to eat. Yet, Jesus paints the picture that David did this, and because it was a circumstance that they had not put themselves in, in the traditional sense, they were on the run, and they need food, and God allowed it to happen. It was not lawful in the way that just anyone could waltz in there and at any time and say, oh, I need that bread. uh, This man was in an extreme circumstance. This was an exception to the rule. Because the heart of the matter, the heart of what was going on here is that this man needed food. This man needed food. Jesus gives another example, verse 5. He says, talking to the Pharisees again. Remember, they asked him, Your disciples are doing what is not lawful, Jesus. Why? Why are they doing this? Jesus gives them another example, verse 5. Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? Now, we obviously have to ask ourselves, how do priests profane the law on the Sabbath? Now, if we go to Numbers, which is in the Old Testament, much like Leviticus, and part of the five books, the Torah, that Moses wrote, according to Numbers 28, which Jesus is alluding to, by the way, Numbers says that on the Sabbath day, on the day that people should be resting two male lambs, one year old without defect, and two tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil as a grain offering and its drink offering. This is the burnt offering of every Sabbath in addition to the continual burnt offering and its drink offering. The priests officiated the sacrificial system on the Sabbath, on Shabbat. Whereas they should have been resting, they did a work that was necessary, interceding and doing that which brought men closer to God through offering sacrifices, sin offering, continual burnt offering, They offered sacrifices, that is an activity, and they engaged in it on the Shabbat. And that, of course, paints the picture that even though Shabbat laws as given by God in Exodus 20 stipulated that men should do nothing, not even their oxen, not even their donkeys, not even the servants that are living there, foreigners, had born, bred Jews themselves, Israelites, no one should be doing anything, we see that the priests could do something. They did a necessary work. The point that Jesus is making is necessary work can be done on Shabbat and in fact should be done on Shabbat. Going back to the previous episodes, we saw Jesus healing a man on Shabbat How could he have left a man that was afflicted by disease and malady for such a long time and just say, look, I'll come and heal you after sunset? As Jesus at that point in time had the ability to bring healing to the man. He couldn't pass on this opportunity. God, you ask God for forgiveness of sin on Shabbat, he forgives you. Whatever he does, he forgives you. He sustains us on Shabbat. But in his own way, God himself Shabbats on the Sabbath day. Jesus has to acknowledge the faith of the Pharisees. You've got to love Jesus. This man came to him trying to attack his disciples, attack him as a rabbi. Jesus says in verse 6, I know, but I tell you something, something greater than the temple is here. Let's do this logically. Pay close attention. Let's establish what is this thing that is greater than the temple. Obviously, Jesus says, I tell you, something is greater than the temple, and that thing is here. Let us establish, right? Now, keep in mind that to the Jews at that time, the temple was more sacred than any other object on earth. You couldn't get anything more sacred, more holy, more set apart, more so closely attached to divinity than the temple. The temple was where God resided. It was where you could find God. Therefore, what would be bigger than the temple? What would be bigger than it? Well, how about the manifestation of God himself? <laughs> Why, the God that dwells there? How about that? would that be bigger than the temple itself? Remember, the temple is the most sacred object because God abides there. So who is or what is more sacred than the temple? Well, the God that abides there. But don't take my word for it. Listen to what God says through his prophet Haggai. Haggai is one of the minor prophets in the Old Testament, and by minor, his message is not a minor message. It is just that the book is such a short book, it is called a minor book. Haggai says this. I'll give some context. The Israelites had gone into captivity because they had sinned against God. The original temple that King Solomon had built had been destroyed by the Babylonians, right? Now, they go into captivity. 70 years, they start coming out, right? From captivity. From what was not Babylon itself, because Babylon had been conquered by Syria. So the king that comes in says, Guys, Israelites, you guys can go back. Technically not Israelites, but Jews. You guys can go back. And so they start going back. And they get to the point that they are rebuilding the temple. And one thing we have to take note about is that the original temple, the one that King Solomon built, was magnificent. It was beautiful, but it had something. The Shekinah glory. Now the Shekinah glory, it was a visible manifestation of God, a cloud that rested in the temple. When Solomon was dedicating the temple, a cloud came in. God came in and dwelt as a cloud, a manifestation, a token, a visible token that God is here, right? Now... During the time of Hagia, which we're going to read, they're rebuilding the temple and the Shekinah glory doesn't rest in there. It doesn't rest in there. God does not come down in the form of a cloud or in the form of fire and rest in the temple. They have no visible token of God and they are distraught. They, The, the guys that saw the former temple with the Shekinah, and you imagine they were young boys, they saw this young man, they saw this Shekinah, and and the beauty of the temple, and now they're seeing this new temple, no Shekinah. It doesn't make sense. It is not beautiful. So Haggai comes and tells them, really this is God talking through Haggai, and he says, the latter glory of this house or this temple that you guys have built. This later one. Leave Solomon's alone, not that one. This one that we are building right now as we have come out of captivity. This, the glory of this house will be greater than the former. And in this place, I will give peace. Uh, God says that This temple that you guys are thinking, oh, it's not that nice, it's not that beautiful. It is going to have the greatest glory compared to the other places. Leave the tabernacle, leave the temple that Solomon built. This one that you guys are building. Now, let's get to the point. Why is Jesus saying this? Okay. Same logic. What would top a visible token of the presence of God? Well, how about God himself? Right? I mean, yeah, I've seen the Shekinah glory. This represents God. I would really like to see God. That's the next step from there. That is the exact step that Jesus was communicating. Jesus was in effect saying, that Shekinah cloud, you know, that represented me. All good. I am the real deal and I am here now. And now that Jesus has made the point that, guys, I am what the Shekinah glory was representing, Jesus then makes this point, verse 7 of the same chapter, Matthew chapter 12. If you had known what this means, I desire mercy. The I here is not just somebody quoting the Old Testament. This is Jesus himself. God himself made flesh saying, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. You would not have condemned the guiltless. Now, We'll get a bit of context. Who are the guiltless? Well, technically the disciples, but also Jesus. And as we'll see, this man wanted Jesus dead. But Jesus had done nothing wrong. Yet here they are promoting the worship of Yahweh. Those guys are breaking the Sabbath. They cannot be doing that. They are breaking the commandments of God. But Jesus stands to them and says, first of all, you guys are condemning the guiltless. No, 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 not condemning. You have condemned. You have judged me already and you are planning to kill me. We'll get that context. That's essentially what Jesus is saying. You have condemned the guiltless. Jesus was guiltless. And on this particular matter, the disciples were guiltless. Yet they had condemned them. Jesus makes the point, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Mercy, love. Loyal, love. This word, I like it in the Hebrew. In fact, I dare say that I love it. That word loyalty is chesed. And in the Hebrew, that is. okay, And it describes compassion. The reason I'm saying in the Hebrew is really because when Jesus says that, he is quoting Prophet Hosea. Prophet Hosea, another minor prophet, just like Haggai, writes, For I delight in loyalty. This is really God saying this through Prophet Hosea. For I delight in loyalty rather than sacrifice, and in the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. This is what Jesus is quoting. That word loyalty. I delight in loyalty rather than sacrifice. What Jesus then translates or says. I desire mercy. That word is chesed, chesed, and describes compassion. Being moved in your inner being, in your inner core, your intestines, sort of, you know, your stomach. You, you feel like I should move with compassion on these people. I should be compassionate. That is what Jesus desired. That these religious leaders would show compassion to him and to the disciples. They... Are trying to stand up for God. <laughs> They're promoting the Lord's Sabbath. But God is right in front of them and they can't see it. And Jesus tries to say this differently. He says, He says, One greater than the temple is here. He says, that is me, I am God, I am standing here. And then he says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Don't condemn the guiltless. Don't go ahead with with the plan that you guys have. And then just a bombshell, because Jesus essentially comes out and says he is God, uh, as he has been trying to explained in the last time, episodes and we've seen him trying to make this point verse 8 he says for the son of man is the lord of the sabbath he's lord of the sabbath the god that you guys are trying to worship by promoting the sabbath by by standing up for his laws i, I am that god and you guys are going to go ahead and, and plan and orchestrate how you're going to end me. I it is me. I am here. Don't do that. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. Now, I, I know that you love God. I know that you want at least trying to Make things right in your life. But I guess I have to go straight to the point. There is the Sabbath and there are Sabbaths. And Jesus says he's Lord of the Sabbath. He is speaking here about a specific Sabbath. He is speaking about the Seventh-day Sabbath, Saturday. Now, I know that this might be hitting you harder than you intended it to. But you love God. You want to do what He says. But remember, the Jews that we have read in this story, they wanted to love God as well. But they did it in the wrong way. They were trying to condemn Jesus, planning to kill him in their zeal for God. Yes, they loved God, but they were misplaced on that point. Jesus is trying to tell them, guys, don't do it. Actually, I I am that God. You want to love God, but you want to do it the right way. The right way involves keeping the Sabbath. Not a Sabbath, the Sabbath. Because it is the day that Jesus is Lord over. He gave the commandment In Genesis chapter 2, verse 1. Well, he said he rested. And he is the creator. John chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. Jesus is the creator. He is Lord of the Sabbath. He is calling you today. Son, daughter, do you want to love me? Rightly so. This is part of it. It is not the only way, but it is part of it. I get it. It might be hard because you have grown up doing things a certain way. But you go and you read about it and you pray about it and you ask God, if this is what you want me to do, help me. I will not pretend that it is going to be easy but I have to say that it is necessary. And just in case you're thinking this is for God's good, let's read what Mark says in Mark chapter 2 verse 27. Same account, same story the disciples picking or plucking some grain, the Pharisees coming to Jesus and saying, your men, your disciples are doing what is not lawful. In this account, Jesus says this, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. If you're a parent, you buy your children toys. So that your children can benefit. You don't go to the shop before you get kids. Before you even sit down to plan to have kids and get toys, toys, toys galore. And then sit down and decide, oh, I need to get a child to play with these toys. It is illogical. Whoever made cars do not make cars, and then think, "Oh yeah, I need to get some humans to get into this car." You begin with the vision of the human. How are they going to drive this? How are they going to use this? How are they going to benefit from it? And then you make a car a custom to humanity. Oh yeah, four wheels, steering wheel stick shift or manual transmission, a clutch, how many? Brakes, three, mm, pedals, all that, side meters, rear view window, rear view mirror, uh bonnet, you know, boot, all these things. You you fashion something that is functional. If you've got a wife <laughs> How many of you ever went out and got flowers before you got a woman to give them to? It's the same thing with God. It is flat out the same thing with God. God did not create the Sabbath first, and then decide, Oh, (laughs) oops, I need somebody to honor this Sabbath. Nah. God made man first then in his wisdom and by man i actually mean humanity god made humanity fast the man and the woman he made them and then in his wisdom he saw the need for the seventh day sabbath rest not just any day but the seventh day sabbath rest in the life of man said these guy's need to take one day off and just think about me and just Spend time with each other. It was a time for communion. Now you can do this every day, but in some special sense, the seventh day Sabbath is set apart, not by men, but by God himself. In conclusion, think about these three points. This is really what we have studied. They are compact They are concise and you can deconstruct them and think about what they mean. Number one, Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. Number two, the Sabbath was made for us as humans. And not just the Sabbath, but the seventh day Sabbath. Number three, God desires mercy not sacrifice. See you next time. And until then, I do pray that God keeps you safe and that he blesses you and that you glorify his name and that you are a blessing to everyone around you.